Hey Leo, I want to ask you a question. Did you notice that since when we started the podcast, Yannick Sinner started to play not great? Well, there is an Italian word. I don't know if there is an English equivalent. Which is what we call scaramanzia. So it's difficult to explain it. It's superstition applied to specific sectors of, of <laughs> one's life and in this case uh, since we are talking about sport it, it's applied to sport so uh, for instance even if we think that your team or the the player you you support is stronger than his opponent you tend not to say this before the match for instance it was obvious this difference between Italy and England when uh, there was the European Cup in football in 2021 and uh, the English fans were chanting it's coming home they were talking about the the cup as they won it already some people even got uh, the a tattoo an Italian fan would never do that and we for instance, when we watch tennis matches, not only sinners, but any Italian player you root for, you do the same thing you did the match before when you won. You wear the same shirt, you sit in the same position in front of the telly. Not <laughs> always, but you, you try to do this. Or you think you influence the... You don't really think it, but somehow you think it. Uh, that you you influence the result by watching the match or not watching the match or I will watch only the tie break <laughs> and other stuff <laughs> like that. This is the Yannick Sina show. I'm Mickey Fossati, and with me today we have Leonardo Poggi. Leonardo, what does it mean being the greatest of all time? The goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> It means being at the center of a debate that I personally find rather boring. Boring if the debate is focused towards actually determining who is the GOAT, as if this is something that you can measure like, a, I don't know, like a physical uh, phenomenon that you can really measure. So in tennis, the GOAT debate is nowadays, of course, uh, focused, uh, not nowadays, it's since many years focused on the, the rivalry between uh, Federer, Nadal and uh, Djokovic. And as I said, I find it really boring and uninteresting. It's just one way that the fan base of one group uh, is using to diss uh, the other two players. And there's no value in that for me. It is interesting, though, if you use it as an excuse to think about the past or the different contexts in which players were playing. So in, in that sense, it can be interesting. And uh, it depends a little bit on the metric that you want to use. So what is, what is more important uh, in tennis? For your favorite player, if you had to choose he or she wins a Grand Slam title and never becomes number one in the world or becomes number one in the world without winning a Grand Slam title, what would you choose? Yeah, that's a quick question. And this is exactly why I think 
the debate about being the GOAT is pointless because there are so many numbers we can look at and so many ways someone is playing and dominating more or less the game that, yeah, it's really difficult to select the right uh, numbers, the right metric to decide. Actually, I think it's impossible. So yeah, so today we will talk about who's the GOAT for Italian tennis. And we will look at some of these numbers and we'll see that uh, even if there are some clear-cut answers for some reasons, one reason is that it's difficult to compare long uh, careers to careers just started. And one reason is the tennis in the 70s and the 80s is very different from the tennis today. So we are kind of comparing pears and, and apples, right? It's not exactly easy to, to say who, who is who. But yeah, it's a good excuse to, to think about what's happening in, in tennis and to look at some maybe statistics that are escaping if you don't really look at this exactly. Yeah, uh, let's dig uh, into that uh, with some context maybe. We will talk about Italy, and, and Italy has never been a top-tier uh, country for tennis. Only very recently in the men's game and a little bit far away in time for women's game, uh, we had some very good players. In the women's game, we had also Grand Slam's victories. So it was a very nice period, like 10 years ago or so. Um, and now in the men's game, we have two or three good players, and one of them is Yannick Sinner. But anyway, Italy has never been a top country in, in the game. We will try to see what's the, the position of Sinner in the context of both Italian, especially Italian in this episode, and international uh, level. Again, it depends on the point of view. If you consider the age, the young age of Yannick Sinner, what he already achieved puts him in an international context. So uh, no other Italian has ever been that successful at his age and only few international players have been that successful at his age in the past 20 years before that uh, it was more common to to be uh, successful even at uh, 18 or 20 years old but he's not the the youngest uh, the most successful between the young guns of course Alcaraz has already won a grand slam as already been number one in the world. Also, Rune has already won a Masters 1000 title. But if you look at the statistics of achievements by young players in the past 20 years, Yannick is always in the top 10 in most of these metrics. On the other hand, in the category of the best Italian players ever, ever we mean after the open era started so after six, 1968 he's not there yet in most of almost all the important metrics there has been one two three italians that so far had better results than him of course we are talking mostly of people who ended already their career and many years many decades even ago 
while Yannick's career, you can say that it's just started. So we can hope that uh, he will overcome these numbers. So, spoiler alert. Is Yannick Sinner the greatest Italian tennis player of all time? No. Or not yet. If you want to be uh, positive about <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. And you can stop listening if you want. <laughs> because this is the answer. <laughs> Otherwise, go on, and we will have we will use this episode also to have you know a view of other great players uh, in the Italian history. To answer the same question that I asked you before, personally, I would prefer for my beloved player to win a Grand Slam, even without mm. reaching number one in the world. I think the adrenaline rush of a victory that happens when you finalize the match point is is mm -hmm. unbeatable the <laughs> achievement of the number one it's a much slower process you can even become number one in the world in a week where you didn't even play for instance or maybe you lost early in a tournament but because of how the ranking work you become number one Personally, I think that the most important thing you can do in tennis is one Grand Slam title. And in the Italian history of tennis, only one player has won only once a Grand Slam. This happened in Paris in 1976, and his name is... Adriano Panatta. All Italians of our generation remember uh, him, and he's still around, sometimes is commenting on... On some on some tennis channel, Adriano Panatta is uh, a player that achieved the best results in the late seventies. He won uh, a French Open, and that was the, the the peak of his career. And it's actually the only player that beat Bjorn Borg at the French Open. So this is already an indication of the quality of his tennis and. He was a very eclectic player. His best results were, were uh, achieved on clay. He was very eclectic and he was able to play at the net very well. Uh, there are some famous movements that Panatta introduced to the tennis, like the volley on backhand that he called Veronica. He was able to dive in a way that uh, maybe Boris Becker uh, made more famous in, in Wimbledon. It was, yeah, it was very fun to watch a very fun to watch player panata won the french open once and helped italy to win the davis cup and that was another huge success in 1976 and for him and, and also another success that for italy was amazing is the victory in in rome uh, at the italian open uh, that was the name of the tournament back then when he finished his career for a while he became captain of the italy's davis cup team and then he started you know working for the federation and then we are losing a little bit track of him but with his ranking i think he finished number four right as the highest ranking in the world yeah. and his achievement is definitely the player that for us, for our generation, was you know the the best Italian player of all times. So in this metric, Yannick Sinner is one of the few guys um, who reached the quarterfinals of a slam. That's his best uh, achievement so far. 
and it puts him in the fifth place of this uh, ranking. So Panatta um, won a, a Grand Slam title. Berrettini is the only other player who reached the final in Wimbledon. Then we have uh, Barazzutti and Cecchinato who reached a semi-final. And then we have a few players who reached at least a quarter-final. And Sinner is one of them and the youngest of them. And so, yeah, speaking about Panatta, the other metric we should, you, we could look at is who is the Italian that reached the highest ranking in the Open Era? We know that, for example, recently Berrettini reached the number six, and Berrettini is a player that is still in activity, even if it's uh, struggling with injuries at the moment. And the best ranking of Sinner is uh, number eight. But uh, who is the guy that reached the highest ranking in the Italian history? Again, the same guy who won the title <laughs> in Paris. So Adriano Panatta, uh, who in that same year reached number four in the world so no italian has ever been in the top three as you said matteo berrettini reached number six which means that he is the second italian in this uh, metric then we have uh, corrado barazzutti the peak of barazzutti's career was uh, the semi-final in the u.s open in 1977 and uh, this is uh, one good example of why it's fun to do this exercise of the of the greatest of all time because you discover um, interesting very funny or weird uh, facts that happened and in that semi-final for instance we discover that uh, in uh, 1977 uh, the us open was played on clay courts so it was a clay court <laughs> tournament before that, it was uh, some years before it was on, they played on grass. But in that year, they were playing on uh, clay court. And this leads to uh, a weird thing that happened in the semifinals. There was a, a very important point in between Barazzuti and Connors. And uh, there was a point uh, that uh, was ruled in favor of uh, Connors, but um, Barazzuti challenged it because According to him, the, the, the mark was clearly uh, showing that Connor's um, ball was out. And uh, they started to argue a little bit with the, um, the umpire. And then Connors just went on the other side of the, the court, so in, in Barazzutti's side, and deleted <laughs> the mark <laughs> with his foot. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> If you recall, this uh, spring, uh, there was a match in Madrid between uh, Davidovic Fokina and Rune. And Rune also deleted a mark. When Rune did it, the, the discussion was almost over and deleting the mark was, uh, was not influencing the outcome of, uh, of the decision of the umpire also because they have cameras, uh, the, the automatic... Uh, Hawkeye and so on and still the the crowd reacted quite strongly against this uh, uh, gesture by by Rune can you imagine <laughs> how today's crowd would have reacted to a gesture besides, like that yeah, yeah besides Rune deleted the mark on his court not on the other yeah, one <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, but yeah back then this was connors was a, a guy like that and uh, they just i don't know everybody laughed everybody <laughs> but barazzuti of course and the semi-final went uh, to connors uh, so corrado barazzuti reached number seven and uh, yannick sinner is the fourth uh, italian uh, player in this uh, special metric so far his best ranking is number eight then there's only one more italian tennis player who managed to ever enter the top 10 which is fabio fognini it's worth pointing out again that we are talking about male italian players if we look at the female uh, results we have four players of the same era who entered the top 10 and it's uh, Roberta Vinci who managed to reach number seven, Flavia Pennetta number six, uh, Sara Errani number five and Francesca Schiavone who is the equivalent of Adriano Panatta in that she reached number four as he did and she won the French Open in 2010. Coming back to male players then we have Bertolucci who reached 12 in the ranking and then we have another uh, young up-and-coming player uh, which is Lorenzo Musetti who just very recently reached his uh, best ranking so far number 15 and after him there was Marco Cecchinato who managed to reach number 16 especially thanks to that uh, incredible run at uh, Roland Garros in 2018. I must say with Musetti, he reached his best ranking in a situation where everybody's saying that he's not playing his best tennis. Yeah. So th this is uh, very interesting because, of course, probably um, some people have expectations, but the reality is that his baseline tennis is already worth the 16th place in the world. So we are expecting him to, to go even higher because um, we feel that his tennis is not fully developed yet and still is already one of the best players in the world. And same goes for Sinner, of course. Even Yannick's yes. tennis is not developed fully yet. I think these are the two most important metrics, but still, of course, also winning any tournament is a nice thing. It's, it's not as important as winning a Grand Slam title, but uh, winning an, an ATP title, especially of the highest uh, value, like Masters 1000 or an ATP 500, it's quite a good thing. And uh, surprise, surprise, who is the Italian that so far <laughs> <laughs> has won more ATP titles? Parata, ladies and gentlemen. He won like 10 <laughs> titles. And yes, uh, of course, this means also that Panata had a career. He played for more than a decade. And yeah, even if tennis back then in the, 70, in the late 70s was different, still he had time to develop his tennis and where Sinner is placed in this special uh, position? Sinner is third in this ranking so we have Panatta who won 10 ATP titles then we have Fabio Fognini who won nine of them and then 
at uh, seven titles each, we have Matteo Berrettini and Yannick Sinner. So again, it, it's already quite a good thing at his young age, having won that many tournaments. One has to look, of course, also at the level of tournaments yes. that you won. So if we look at what these tournaments are, besides the already mentioned victory of Panatta in Paris, the most important tournament ever won by an Italian tennis player is Monte Carlo, who has been won by uh, Fabio Fognini in 2019, uh, beating Rafa Nadal along the way. And this is the only ever victory in a Masters 1000 by an Italian tennis player. Yannick so far managed to win only one ATP 500 tournament in Washington, D.C. And all the other titles are coming from ATP 250. Most of them on indoor courts, which is so far has been the type of tournament where he shines the most. Unfortunately, because that's the only type of uh, court that doesn't have a Grand Slam. So we should petition for a gra- one of the either US Open or Australian Open should become indoor tournaments. And then we can say that Yannick is going to win that uh, Grand Slam. Of course, he's an overall good player. He's good also on other type of courts. He already won a clay court tournament last summer in Umag, in Croatia, beating Carlos Alcaraz in the final. And uh, yeah, so far, no titles on uh, grass. But um, Yannick is already reached twice a final of, uh, of a Masters 1000, in both uh, times in Miami, uh, once uh, losing against uh, Hubi Urkac, and the second time this year losing against uh, Daniel Medvedev. Uh, so again, is is the only Italian who has ever reached two finals uh, of the Masters 1000. Matteo Berrettini reached it once, losing against uh, Zverev in in Madrid. Then we have another metric, which is how many matches one player has won throughout his career. Of course, in this metric, a young player such as Sinner, even if very successful, cannot be the number one. Is not even in the top 10 yet. Is actually uh, in the 12th position with 155 at this moment victories at ATP level. And with uh, 411 victories, the only Italian who has managed to win more than 400 matches is... Ta-da! Fabio Fognini! <laughs> oh, it's not Panata. Oh, okay. No! no. <laughs> I was starting to think that we should name this episode... The Adriano Panatta show. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Why not? We should we should probably change the name for the episode. <laughs> yeah, Fabio had a very long and successful career. In this moment of his career, he's a very good player for the first rounds. And then because of injuries and tears in his body, is uh, rarely reaching more than the second or the third round in, in tournament. But is around for a very long time he's been in the top 10 and the number of matches that he won is um, from the point of view of an italian player really unbelievable more than 400 411 uh, Fognini is definitely one of the guys that shined uh, for italy in the last maybe two decades 
yeah, the number of victories and also the quality of some of these victories. Because uh, when Fabio is on the tennis, he was able and sometimes still is able to produce. It's spectacular. And um, especially on clay courts, but not only on clay courts, he can, in his good day, he can beat anybody. And he did, especially a few victories against Nadal were just uh, amazing. Let's move to, well, the top 10. How many weeks a player spent in the top 10? I think it's a good metric in order to see not only the peak of your tennis, but how long you were able to sustain this peak. Yeah, the consistency. Yeah. And uh, the name we have is uh, surprising. So it's well, surprising. It's not, uh, it's neither Panatta nor Fognini, but is It's Matteo Bertini that stayed 116 weeks in top 10. That is a huge number. And the second was Panatta uh, with 52. So less than half of this. And the third was Corrado Barazzutti with 45. Uh, again, Panate and Barazzutti were playing in a very different context, so we need to take these numbers with a pinch of salt. And at the moment, Sinner is fourth in this ranking with 34 weeks and counting, because at the moment he is still in the top 10. By the way, I wanted to, to add this on how quickly uh, the perspective changes and how quickly we as a fans tend to move our goalposts. So Fabio Fognini, for instance, managed to reach the top 10 in 2015. Before that, we had a very, very long time with no Italians at all in the, in the top 10 for almost 40 years. So the fact that he, he was able to enter the top 10 at all was incredible and uh, when uh, Yannick came around the fact that he was able to enter the top 10 at his very young age also was quite extraordinary but at the moment he's in the top 10 already as you said for 34 years not uh, 34 years <laughs> well we, we we wish him <laughs> such, such a long career yeah uh, no, 34 weeks and most people tend to overlook this so it's it's a given no he should be in the top 10 there's nothing to be excited about it's uh, yeah well it's, it's number nine in the world so what huh? it's uh, it's it's really quick how we, we switched from incredible and Italian in the top 10 to, well, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but we, we should never forget that it's an extraordinary feat for any tennis player. Going on in the numbers, let's have a look at results in the slams, in the Grand Slams tournaments. So who is the Italian player that did best in, in Grand Slam tournaments so far? Like we said earlier, one thing is the highest ranking that you reach. And another thing is how long you stay uh, in the top 10. This metric is similar. So it's not 
what is your best result in a single slam, which, as we said, is Panatta's victory in Paris, but how you scored in all the four of them. And if you look at it this way, uh, the best Italian player so far is Matteo Berrettini, who managed to reach one final in Wimbledon, uh, the semi-finals in um, Melbourne and in New York, and a quarter-final in Paris. No other Italian has ever been that consistent all the, the four slams. In fact, again, since mostly we are comparing the two big eras of Italian tennis, no? Italian tennis in the 70s and Italian tennis nowadays, by looking at this, we see one of the huge differences between today's tennis and back then's tennis. And how do we see it? We see it in the fact that Corrado Barazzutti, which was the second Italian player at that time, never ever entered Australian Open. He didn't play the Australian Open in his life and Panatta only played it once and he lost at first round. And this is not, uh, this was not extraordinary. Back then, there were a lot of important players who never played the Australian Open at all or only played it once or twice. Nowadays, this is unimaginable. Every top player goes to all four of the slams. Back then, it wasn't like that. So the best in this metric is uh, Berrettini and the second best is Yannick Sinner who is the only other Italian who has ever reached the quarterfinals in each of the four Grand Slams. Uh, the first time he did it, uh, it was a very young Yannick in Paris, in the autumn uh, Roland Garros, when he lost to uh, Rafa Nadal. He managed to almost win the first set. He served for the set and it was broken right at the at the very last minute and yeah and then he reached uh, the quarterfinals uh, last year melbourne losing to uh, tsitsipas in a match that was fundamental for his career because it's the last match he played having ricardo piatti as a coach we don't know if it was that match that uh, had the course, effect, yeah. but what we know is that after that there was a, a period of and there was a break and then uh, when Yannick reappeared he changed the coaching team and then well he reached the quarterfinals in Wimbledon losing to Novak Djokovic in five sets being uh, while winning after winning the first two sets so he was one set away from winning against Djokovic in Wimbledon, which I think it's not that uh, far-fetched to say that he was one set away from winning Wimbledon, Adam, because no, no. No, if you beat Novak yes. in the quarterfinals, then uh, yeah. after that is downhill. And then he also reached the quarterfinals in New York, playing what is considered by many the most uh, incredible match of 2022 against Carlos Alcaraz, hmm. reaching even further. He went, he had match point on his serve on that match. I have goosebumps by thinking about it. It was hmm. 
deep into the Italian nights when started and uh, early morning when it finished. Sadly, it finished uh, uh, not in a good way for Yannick, who was not able to convert that match point and then the, the tide uh, of that match shifted and Carlos won and went to win his first uh, Grand Slam title. We spoke about um, tournaments and Grand Slams and ranking. One particular tournament, it's the last tournament of the season, so it's the finals. So the tournament where only the best eight players of the year can enter. And again, very, very few Italians ever entered this tournament at all. That's a logical consequences of having very few Italians being in the top uh, 10. The only Italian tennis player who has ever participated more than once uh, at the finals is Matteo Berrettini. And what about Yannick? There has been some sort of changing of the guard, unfortunately, for the way it happened. It was the ATP finals in Turin. Berrettini was uh, one of the players uh, who had qualified for, for the finals, while Sinner uh, didn't manage to qualify. He was the first uh, backup player. And uh, at the first uh, match, Berrettini was playing against Zverev. It played an unbelievable level. First set was really, really super high level. At, at the end of the first set, Berrettini held in the abdominal muscles, which is... Uh, Berrettini, sadly, is one of those players who has, has multiple injuries, especially mm -hmm. in that area of his body, which is um, strongly under stress because of his play style. So he couldn't finish the match and had to retire from the whole tournament. And at his place uh, entered uh, Yannick Sinner. And Andover that uh, saw Sinner winning against Hurkacz and then losing to Medvedev in the match that many Sinner fans remember as the match of the Yawn. We will come back to this in, in another episode. For this year, the stated goal of uh, Yannick is to enter the final eight uh, in time in order to be part of the ATP finals in Turin in November. And so far, he's doing all right. The year started very well. Uh, now he's in a bit of a slump. His uh, recent results, especially... Uh, going out early at uh, Roland Garros, which is, of course, the Grand Slams are the tournaments where you make the most points. So um, losing in second round means uh, losing on a, a big opportunity to, to score quite some points. But still, the, um, the outlook is quite uh, positive for Yannick. Currently, as we speak, Yannick is in the seventh position of the race to Turin with the 400 uh, points of margin compared to Taylor Fritz, which is in position number nine. But of course, uh, Wimbledon is coming very soon and uh, uh, a slam is always the moment of the year when most points are gained, so the positions may and will change. 
So, well, he the goal is not reached yet, but uh, he's in a good position to to reach it. And I think that then the the last uh, let's say important type of uh, results in a player's career it's the Davis Cup. This also underlines a change a, a change in uh, tennis. Back in the 70s, Davis Cup was a really, really big deal. So winning uh, a Davis Cup uh, had the feeling of winning uh, like a World Cup uh, in, in football. And uh, we only won the Davis Cup once. And who won it? Again, Adriano Panatta, the true goat of Italian tennis. Panatta, together with Barazzutti, Bertolucci and Antonio Zugarelli, which yes. tends to be forgotten because he played less. He was, let's say, the, the, the first backup of uh, the, the single players. But sometimes he did play, especially when, again, one thing that doesn't, that has changed a lot and many people uh, still regret that has changed, has changed for the worse is the Davis Cup format that um, back then was the matches were played in one of the two countries. So, for instance, when Italy played against South Africa, they went to South Africa. And the um, host country, whose the uh, type of uh, court uh, the match would have would be played on. And, of course, they were choosing uh, the court that were favoring uh, their own players and less favoring the... Um, competitors the away so yes when they were playing on grass sometimes it happened and normally zugarelli was chosen because he was uh, the better of the three on grass and um, yeah who is interested in getting to know more about this um, quartet of italian players who made history for for the the italian tennis I don't know if it's available in other countries than Italy, but there's a very good um, short TV series, which is called Una Squadra. It's a um, six-part uh, documentary uh, that details all the story of these four players. Um, their full story, but especially in, uh, in regard to the uh, that famous Davis Cup that Italy won against Chile. It's it's a fantastic documentary for those who want to get to know the tennis of the years past and also the history of the world in that period. Because, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's, there are no. very interesting moments uh, tennis-wise and uh, also non-tennis-wise. So it's a fantastic documentary. And, but you uh, discovered you discovered an interesting statistic about that. Yeah, uh, for this statistic, for only this one, we we take a look at the whole tennis. So not only the open era as we discussed so far, but uh, we go even back uh, in the past. And the player who won most matches in Davis Cup, and not in amongst Italian players, but amongst any player so uh, in the world the player who won most davis cup matches is an italian and is nicola pietrangeli who was the most successful player before 
the open era started. He played also after the open era started, but he he was at his peak before that. He won the Roland Garros twice in 59 and in 1960. So he's the most successful Italian player ever in slam terms and in Davis Cup terms. And most young people who follow tennis nowadays probably have heard this name because one of the, if not the most beautiful tennis courts in the world, in Rome, has his name. Uh, So the the Pietrangeli court is in his honor. Uh, So he won... It is the most beautiful court, I think. Yes. I really like the Queen's court. Yes. 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 It's really beautiful as well. Pietrangeli won... 120 Davis Cup matches, which, uh, well, is, is, is <laughs> it's a good number. It's a, an incredible number. <laughs> uh, just to put it in the context, uh, Yannick Sinner so far has won six matches in, um, in Davis Cup. So among the, the active players, of course, it's Fabio Fognini who won most matches. It's 43 is the sixth overall Italian player. The Another side of the renaissance of Italian tennis is that having by having Yannick Sinner, Matteo Berrettini, Lorenzo Musetti, Lorenzo Sonego, Fabio Fognini and Simone Bolelli, uh, we, the hopes of winning again the Davis Cup were renewed. The, the last uh, attempts were hindered by the fact that we never managed to have a fully healthy quad. So last year, Yannick didn't even play the finals. Matteo Berrettini was injured and uh, took part to the semifinals, but he he played the, the doubles against uh, alongside Fognini because Bolelli was also injured. Well, it was a, an unfortunate situation and we didn't manage to win, but our for the future year, the future looks bright, and uh, there are hopes that we can raise Lin yes. Salatiera, as we call it. So the, <laughs> yes. the salad uh, bowl, bowl. <laughs> again in the future. So I think this we we, we discussed most of the the, the most important uh, statistics. Yeah. Okay, this was the Yannick Sinner show. We were talking about Italy and Italian players. Who's the GOAT? Uh, the GOAT is Panatta, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Miki Fossati. With me it was Leonardo Poggi. And hope you enjoy it. If you like it, leave a uh, review on the platform you're listening to or maybe follow us. Leave a review, a like, try to engage with us, share with your friends. Let them know that there is a new podcast in town. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Till next time.